Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 22, verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fail. The proverb means that sin is a seed. Eventually, it sprouts, bearing sadness. Sin is a seed, bearing sadness. Another way to think of it is that sin farmers are short-sighted. Nobody likes to be sad. Everybody wants to be happy. But when you plant the seed of sin, you're, you're sowing the seeds of sadness. Sin farmers seek their own pleasure, and in so doing, they plot their own destruction. This is the reason for the common refrain in the Proverbs and the Psalms, that the wicked get caught in their own traps. Our God is holy and just and righteous and good, and... He is a God of irony. In his sovereign story, he has ordained that violent men suffer violence. Greedy men become enslaved to mammon. The lustful enter the gates of hell. The wrathful burn up in their own fury. And idol worshippers are devoured by their false gods. Why do the heathen nations vainly rage? God sits on his heavenly throne and laughs. Daniel's oppressors are thrown to the same lions that they designed for Daniel. Haman is hanged on his own gallows. And in the act of crucifying our Lord, the devil crushed his own head. The rod of wicked anger fails. And for believers, this proverb means that there are consequences for sin. We live in a fallen world. We sin. And sin, understood rightly and seen rightly, is ugly and causes deep and painful sorrows. Abraham's sin has led to centuries of brother hatred in the Middle East. Moses' sin meant he couldn't enter the promised land. King David lost his son because of his sin. In our own experiences, we can see broken relationships, marriages, families, and churches. The weak suffer, and the innocent are hurt because iniquity is bad seed. And Paul tells us in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel as we pray to God.
chapter 27, and Paul uh, remains in custody of the Romans. He's finished his testimony in Jerusalem and Caesarea. It's the fall of the year 59 AD, and Paul is about to embark on his fateful journey to Rome. Our text this morning is actually the first half of this chapter, and in it Luke tells us about Paul's trip. Our story this morning is an exciting one on the seas with ships and storms and difficult passages and typhoon winds and loss of all hope. Luke is explaining how Jesus is testing the Gentiles. They've been given revelation and truth. They've been given the words of Paul. And if they believe, there is free salvation and blessing. But if they reject it, as the Jews have done, there's loss and disaster. And this is a salvation narrative. We're not going to finish the narrative this week. Like I said, we're only doing the first half of the chapter. But as we're going to see, the gospel is here in death and resurrection. The light of God reaches into the darkest hour and shines the beacon of hope. So take heart as we dive into this story. We start in Caesarea, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 27. And uh, there's a map on the back side of your inserts in the bulletin, so you can follow along in the trip as we get to the different ports of call. So Caesarea is on the coast of Israel. Uh, it was the Roman seat in the, the, the uh, region of Judea. Verses 1 through 3. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramitium, we put to sea, meaning, uh, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Well, the first thing you're going to notice is that we have a lot of details here. Uh, here we meet Julius. That's Paul's jailer. He's a centurion and a soldier in the Imperial or Augustan Regiment. And he's kind to Paul. It's likely that Paul had either a very good report from Festus or his former jailers, or that Julius was already familiar with him before this trip, or he wouldn't have let Paul, his new prisoner, just go free the way he does in Sidon. Uh, and Julius is similar to Lysias in Jerusalem in that he's, he's a, a good guy. They both seem to be good guys trying to do the right thing by Roman standards. The ship they boarded was from Adramidium, which uh, is a small town in the northern part of the Aegean Sea, so that the Aegean Sea is the sea between Turkey and Greece. And so this is a, a small ship, and it was not uh, able, it wouldn't have been expected to cross the, the sea broadly, so they would sail along the coasts and put in every night. Um, as the text said, it says, that they sailed along the coasts uh, and putting in. Um, and, you can, and again, you can follow along on, on your map. So they get to Sidon. Uh, the other thing to note in these verses is that the we narrative has started again. Uh, Luke is saying things like, we did this and we did that. So Paul's joined by both the good Dr. Luke 
And uh, Luke mentions Aristarchus. Uh, Aristarchus was a Macedonian from Thessalonica. Thessalonica was up north of north of Greece and close by Philippi. Um, and he'd been, he's been traveling with Paul on many of his journeys. And we, we met him. Uh, he's called Paul's traveling companion uh, earlier in the book of Acts. And he was one of the disciples that was seized in Ephesus during the riot about great as Diana, the Ephesians. And then they couldn't find Paul, so they seized Aristarchus and Gaius. Um, so during, during Paul's third missionary journey in Ephesus, he was the one uh, that's, that was seized. And that would have been about two and a half years prior to this event. So that was in AD, AD 57, and now we're in the fall of AD 59. And next we see that they had a very difficult journey from Sidon. So so far, so, so good. They, they left Caesarea, they went up to Sidon uh, in, in the coast of Syria. Uh, but from here, the, 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 they have a difficult journey from Sidon to Myra, and then to Canidus, and then to Fair Havens on the island of Crete. Um, and so here's where it's going to be helpful to follow along on the map. Verses uh, 4 through 8. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmon, passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. So they, they traveled north. The winds being contrary, the winds were blowing. The, the, the prevailing winds were blowing uh, towards the east, and they were trying to go go west. So they, they had to go around the backside of Cyprus, as you can see on the map there. They made it to Myra, and Myra was a major port city. A major port city, uh, especially for Alexandrian ships. Um, Alexandria was a city on the northern tip of, of Egypt, and Egypt was the breadbasket of Rome. So there would be commuting vessels between Alexandria to Rome, and they would travel north because of the prevailing winds up to Myra, and from Myra they would work their way west to Rome. And so, uh, while they wouldn't have expected to find an Alexandrian ship at Caesarea or at Sidon, they can expect to find one in, uh, in Myra. And, and of course, they, 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 they join uh, the ship because that's where they want to go, is to Rome. Uh, and so far, the journey has been difficult. The, the, the language is, they sailed slowly many days. The wind was contrary, uh, uh, with difficulty, uh, they, they arrived. Um, and so it's been difficult to this point, but, but it's about to turn dangerous. And Paul prophetically warns the centurion, but his warning is ignored. Verses 9 through 12. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, 
not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So it was well known that sailing from the end of October into November, said that sailing during that time period was, was risky business. It was dangerous to sail in the Mediterranean during that time. So, and, and, and after, from the middle of November till February, it just wasn't done. It was too dangerous to go out on the sea. And we know that this was the time of year because he says when it was after the fast. And, and the fast he's referring to there is, is the, the Day of Atonement, which would have occurred late in October or early in November. So that's exactly the timing that we have here, uh, the, the late fall of the year 59. The wording of Paul's warning is important. He says, this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. He's saying, this is dangerous. We don't want to go on this journey. But, but Paul was ignored because they wanted to travel to Phoenix. And Phoenix was another port on the same island, the island of Crete. But it was around the, uh, the, southern, the southern edge there. You can see it on the map. Um, Phoenix was about 40 miles, 40 miles to the west of Fair Havens. And... Uh, it, was a, it would have been a better port for, for spending the, the winter because it would have been more sheltered from the prevailing storms of the winter. Uh, but Paul's, Paul knew this wasn't a good idea, but Paul was ignored. Um, versus, uh, and this is where we, we come to the storm. And, and this is a real hair-raising storm. And just imagine yourself on this wooden ship. As, I mean, just listen to the descriptions given here. And, and it ends with, uh, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. It was just pure and utter despair. So this is, uh, this is a violent and scary storm. Verses 13 through 20. When the south wind blew softly... Supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the surface sands, they struck sail, and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. 
So here we're introduced to several technical nautical terms. Uh, Euroclidon, or, or uh, it's also referred to as Euroquilon in, in various textual manuscripts. But basically, this was a northeaster. That's what it, that's what it means. It's a violent storm from the northeast. Uh, we, they, they run, they're blown past Clouda, which is uh, 25 miles out from Crete. And, and behind, on, on the uh, shelter of Clouda, they're able to, to, to secure the skiff. They would have been dragging the boat behind, but now they, that would have become, become dangerous for them, so they, they, they get it out of the water with difficulty. Uh, they're afraid of the surface sands. They, this was a region in the northern uh, gulf of, of Africa. That where you can see the, the dip there uh, in, the, in the coast of Africa. Well, that because that was where there were the sea, uh, where the seas met, there, there were sands that were sandbars that would be formed. They're called quicksands, and they're extremely dangerous. Um, there were shallow seas in the Gulf of Northern Africa. They were extremely dangerous for, for sailors, so they wanted to avoid those. So they, they, they put the sail up and let the wind blow them to the west to, to, to avoid those to avoid those uh, sands. And as we see here, as Luke likes to do, there's a lot of geographical and nautical information in the story. And he's doing this because he is in the business of reporting. He is in the business of chronicling the work of Jesus Christ. He, in, the, in the introduction to Luke, he tells, I'm trying, he tells us that he's writing these things that we may be certain of the things that we've heard. And so how, do you, how are you certain of things? Well, you can check the facts. And that's why Luke gives us many verifiable facts. And the verifiable facts, the verifiable information proves the unverifiable. The things, uh, well, we, we, can, we can go and know about the sort of sands. We can know about uh, seasonal weather patterns. We can know about shipping uh, in, 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 the, in the Mediterranean at this time. But... Um, because Luke is faithful and true with the facts, we can believe then what he says about Paul and the miracles that he does. Or about the snake biting his hand and him surviving it. It's because Luke is a faithful reporter. Um, the prevailing winds, the routes, the nautical practices, the northeaster, the sands, the locations found in these verses have all been vetted. They, and they're found very reliable. This, this is a faithful representation of, of how seafaring worked in that time. And the Bible is the most reliable ancient book for details that archaeologists use to find sites, to find ancient sites. In fact, um, the remains of the, the town that he mentioned earlier near, near Fairhavens, the town Lycia, they were found in the year 1850 because they found it based on the information they had from the scriptures. They looked near Fairhavens for an ancient site, and that's exactly what they found. And so, they, uh, so we have a lot of facts here, a scary storm, and we see that in the storm they did everything they could to be safe. They secured the skiff. They, held, they, they bound the ship together with ropes or cables because they, they, they were afraid the storm was so violent it was going to shatter the, the, the vessel there. They struck sail to, to, to avoid the sands. They, 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 were, they were trying to, to maintain some semblance of, of, uh, of, of you know, direction. They lightened the ship. Um, and three days in, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. 
Uh, this is probably referring to the beam on the mast that would hold the sail. It was a very heavy, uh, heavy chunk of wood, and it would have lightened the ship significantly to toss that over. Nonetheless, having done everything that they could, despair set in. Lost in violent sea for many days with no way of knowing where they were. They, they couldn't see the sun or the stars for many days, and it was no small storm. They were disoriented. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Darkness. This is a dark place to be. It's, uh, they, they were despairing. It's like Jonah in, in the bottom of the ship sleeping. And the captain says, how can you sleep? Like, pray to your God. We, that's, that's all we have left is prayer. Or it's when the disciples were on the, on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus sleeping on the boat. And they said, uh, Lord, don't you care? We're drowning. We're drowning. We're done for. But it's in this dark hour that we get Paul's message of hope. Verses 21 through 26. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. I told you so. You should not have done this. You should have listened to me. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Paul the prophet. I love this. He says, I told you so, and it's your fault. He's like, I told you so. You should, you should not have caused this loss. It's your fault. But what a great way to gain his, his audience's ear. Like, I mean, you'd think that it would put, put them off. You'd think that it would, it would put them off. I mean, look at this self-righteous jerk. <laughs> I told you so? Really? But no. I told you so was the right words. And it was the right words because this wasn't the time for beating around the bush. They're in a dark hour. They're at the peak of the storm. They need the truth immediately. And they need to know that they need to listen to Paul. They need to repent. It's your fault. Now are you going to start listening to me? Stop rejecting the words of God. They're in the thick of it, and they must listen to Paul's words, because Paul's words are the words of life. Notice the change in Paul's words, though. 
In his original warning, he predicted much loss, including of our lives, is what he said. There's death here. If you go on this, you're going to die. We're going to die. This is death. But here he informs them that God has granted him the lives of everyone on board. So this speaks of a couple of things. First is it speaks of the grace of God. They deserved the death that Paul warned them was coming. But God offers them life through Paul. Another thing it speaks of is Paul's love. That he would seek the lives of all these men who refused to listen to him. So his, cha- his message, his warning changes now to a message of hope that there will be no loss of life. But this grace does not come without consequences for their sin. The ship must still be destroyed. The ship is a goner and they have to go through many trials yet in this storm. This is just Paul's message in the center of the storm. They're in the middle of it. Now it's going to take some faith to believe these words of Paul and obedience to the words of Paul. And next week we're going to be looking into exactly how that works out, specifically how the crew and the soldiers respond to Paul's witness. Well, not next week, in two weeks, after Pastor Swanson speaks next week. Um, But we're going to be looking at how these men respond to the witness of Paul. But for now, we see the words of grace. In the darkest hour, we see a voice in the storm. We see grace, undeserved and rich. And it comes when all hope is lost, when all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So God tells Paul then, do not be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Now, Of course, and again, like I said, that's dependent on their faith and obedience, in which we'll we'll come to in a couple weeks. Now, our application today is very simple, straightforward, and glorious, magnificent. Uh, This life, the, the living in the world that we live in, has storms. There's challenges, there's difficulties in our world. Um, the sea in the scriptures is symbolic of the world, the Gentiles. Um, Paul didn't, um, well, in the world there are many dangers, tempests and enemies. And the first thing that we need to learn in this world, in, in the midst of storms, is that we must take care. And Paul's first warning was, take care. Don't, don't go on this, don't go on this journey. It's dangerous. Paul's in tune with wisdom. I mean, he didn't. We, the text doesn't tell us that he had an angel appear to him for his first message. No, Paul was just wise. He understood how things work. It's after the fast, people. This is dangerous to go out on the sea now. He knew it was dangerous. He perceived. He says, "I perceive that it is very dangerous." That's wisdom. He sees clearly because he sees with the eyes of faith and he trusts God. 
So in this, we have to learn first to be wise, to learn to perceive truth and wisdom, danger and folly. And this is one of the glories of studying through the Proverbs, as we've been doing through our through our uh, exhortations, but just reading them on your own, learning to see clearly uh, the Proverbs, spending time in the Scriptures gives you clarity. Because the scriptures are a lamp unto our feet and a light in the darkness. Ultimately, Jesus comes to the world and the light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not like it. But he is a light. He is the beacon we must find through the storm and through the darkness. We may not be complacent in studying the scriptures. Okay, I've told you many times, read your Bibles. I'm telling you again, right now, read your Bibles. It's a good thing to do. Read them. Study them. Spend time in them. But it's not enough just to read them. It's not enough just to check the box of, did I do my 15 minutes today? You read them and you apply them. You read them and you believe them. You read them and you live them. Make them have fruit in your life. We must put the scriptures to practice. And what that looks like is wisdom. It's the ability to hear and follow good advice. The ability to recognize danger. The ability to take care. And in so doing, you avoid the traps and pitfalls of sin and the world. You avoid the dangers of many storms by wisdom. But here we hit a wall. It's exactly here that we hit a wall because we are sinners and we fail. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. Sometimes we make mistakes, just like the centurion. He had the words of wisdom, he had Paul's voice right in his ear. Don't do this, this is dangerous. But he had opposing voices, the owner of the ship, the, the helmsman, people who knew of a safe harbor just 40 miles down the coast. And then... Sometimes the signs appear wrong. Oh, we have a gentle southern breeze. This is our chance. But he didn't believe the words of truth, and he failed. And he put the whole ship in danger and their lives in danger. Sometimes, like the centurion, all of us make mistakes in our lives. We sin. Sometimes they're, they're headstrong sins. We know what we're doing when we do it. Just because we're stubborn. We sow the seeds of iniquity. And this is correlative to living with the consequences of our sin. When we sin, we, we reap sorrow. There's consequences of sin. So sometimes we hit the wall because we fail. But other times we hit the wall because we're not in control of all the details. We are covenantally bound to one another. We all live in America. We're covenantally bound to our government. 
And that means that sometimes we're not the ones steering the rudder of the ship. We're not the ones setting sail, and we're not the ones giving the commands. But we're stuck on the ship. Paul is stuck on the ship. He knows this is dangerous. He knows that lives are at risk, and he doesn't have a choice. He's got to go on this journey. Even when he disagrees with the plan of action. And this is correlative to, like I said, covenantal blunders in society. When our government does stupid things, like spending way more money than they make. Or they initiate systems that are unwise and foolish. Then we bear consequences because we live here. It, it, it takes places in families. And when dad makes a bad decision, wives and children suffer. And it, it, it bears fruit in the church. The church is not perfect. There are, there are false teachers in the church. There are false um, believers in their wolves in sheep clothing. And, and sometimes you encounter hardships. When you're living in the place where God has put you. But don't jump ship. Now Paul doesn't make a run for it because he knows this is stupid. He trusts God. Don't jump ship. I mean, he, he does everything he can to convince them not to go. But once it's done, it's done. He's stuck there. And he prays to God for the lives of everybody on the ship. The ship's got to go. It's toast. But God is gracious. Even though Paul warned them that life was at, at risk, God gives him their lives. And here we learn to take heart. God's in control. It's never too late to believe. It's never too late. In the darkest hour, when the storm is at its worst, when everybody's lost hope, Jesus is more powerful than the storm because all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. He controls the wind and the waves. He knows his own and none of his sheep is ever lost. He promised us that in John. He knows our frame and he knows our details. He knows our personal challenges and personalities. He has the will to save us. He desires our saving because he loves us and he died for us. We can trust that. Paul said in the book of Romans, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then there's one more reason that we need to take heart. Because God's in control of the storms. All things happen for good to those who love me. Is what God says. Storms are God's gift to us to teach us that we are all desperately in need of his saving power. They teach us humility. And they teach us faith. And they give us a powerful witness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray.
barn and full of tempests. Uh, but Jesus is here. And he is the lighthouse on the hill. Shining the goodness and love of God into our dark and de desperate reality. We sin, we suffer, and we die. But in Jesus, we are saved. In Jesus, we live. In Him and in no other, we can fellowship and have peace with our Creator, our Maker, our God. Jesus takes our sin and pins it to the cross. He takes our guilt and freely pours out His grace. He takes our shame and gives us glorious white robes of righteousness. And He takes our death and infuses us with new life with Himself and His Spirit. We must learn to look to Him in faith in all things. Repent and believe, and He will give you all things. In His glorious name, Amen. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.